Hey there, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're so glad you joined us today. Have you ever had feelings that you didn't know how to express to God or to someone else? We've got good news. There's a whole book of the Bible that gives language to the deepest, rawest feelings that we have, and it's the book of Psalms. The rest of the Bible is God's words to you. The Psalms are your words to God. We pray that this message blesses you today. And if you're looking for more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. So grateful to be here this morning open up God's Word with you. We're going to be in Psalm 42. That's 4-2. So if you want to head over there with your copy of God's Word, Psalm 42, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Oh, let's read it together, and then uh, we'll get to work. Psalm 42. To the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Deep calls out to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation And my God, this is God's word. Amen. Amen. Um, I found a picture recently of a prayer in somebody's journal that was posted online. It was actually a very short prayer, but it spoke volumes. And uh, here it is. Uh, How many of us have prayed this prayer? Come on, be honest. Yes. I must have, I mean, I must say I have, because more than I like to admit, and maybe this morning 
that's, that's how you're praying. That's what you're feeling. And that's why we call the series we're in, When Words Fall Short. Because sometimes we don't have the words, and instead we only have water from our heart, called tears. But that's where God meets us. And he gives us a gift in his book called the Psalms. And he gives us an even sweeter gift in the book of Psalms called the Psalms of Lament. Lament. Uh, We've been in the book of Psalms, uh, the 150 of them. We group them into four categories. And those four categories are live Psalms. These Psalms teach us how to live, gives us wisdom for life. Uh, Then there are the lean Psalms that teach us how to trust God when life is hard. And then you have the lament Psalms. That's where we're in right now. We did one last week. Pastor Doug kicked it off with Psalm 22. And we're going to be in lament Psalm this week in Psalm 42. They teach us how to be honest, completely honest, before a God that we can trust. And then in a couple weeks, we're going to be in the lift Psalms. Those will be Psalms of praise. So we're going to get to the mountaintop, but we're going to hang out a little bit longer in the valley today and next week too. Um, Because, you know, you could see some big things in the valley. You can see some big things in the valley. So we need to learn how to be in the valley. And actually, lament Psalms take up the most, like it's the largest category in the book of Psalms. Do you know a third of the book of Psalms are lament Psalms? Some are individual laments, some are community laments, and we even have a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations, all lament. So the lament psalms God gives us to us because he, doesn't, he knows what life is like, and we're not always on the mountaintop. The lament psalms are for those times when life is not even just hard, life seems impossible. God seems absent, and we're desperate and overwhelmed. And there are no easy answers. There are no quick fixes. Laments allow us to be brutally honest before a God that we can trust. Uh, Even the early church, when the church was first birthed and born, those early church fathers would, almost like doctors, prescribe lament psalms as medicine for folks. So you need to go spend some time with some lament psalms. And that's how powerful it was because the lament psalms teach us to be fully alive, fully human in front of our, in the presence of the Lord. So what does it mean to lament? Well, I'm going to give you an example in Psalm 42. It's hard to define. Maybe it's better to say, what does it look like? All right. So Psalm 42 is where we're at today. Uh, Don't skip the little, uh, usually there's a little, little script, superscription at the top of the psalm. We tend to skip those. Um, those actually tell us a lot. And unfortunately, this one doesn't tell us too much, okay? But, but it says to the choir master. So that means this is a worship leader's psalm. And that makes sense because in verse 4, he's leading psalms or songs of praise. Right? It says a maskil, which just means it's an it could be, we don't really know what it means. It could mean it's a teaching psalm. It's a psalm that instructs us. And the sons of Korah were actually worship leaders. So that makes sense, right? So that makes sense. So this is like if, if Karis or Chris or Jonathan or one of our, our amazing worship team leaders wrote a psalm, right? So worship leaders, psalm. Well, what else do we know? What's going on with this guy? We don't know, all right? He doesn't tell us much. Verse 4 and verse 6 
tell us that he's far away from the temple. And so he seems to be isolated. He's far away from worship, right? Remember in 2020, during the pandemic, we couldn't get to church. Uh, and we're isolated. It just, he, just seems that he just wants access to be with God's people again. And that's all we know. And we know his soul is in turmoil. Right? Turmoil means troubled, uh, tormented, extremely agitated. Well, where do you get that? Well, he says it. He says it. Verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? He's talking to himself and he's saying, there's a lot of trouble and torment for me right now. He's asking a lot of questions. Verse 2, he says, when? Verse 3, where? Twice, where, where? Verse 10, where? Verse 5, verse 9, verse 11, six times. Why? Why? Lots of questions. So let's look at this and um, find hope for us even in our turmoil. First, let's look at the soul in turmoil. All right, let's look at the soul that is in turmoil. Why are you cast down, he says, verse 5. Cast down means laid low, sink down. We would say in the pits. It's not that he's just numb, and it's, not, it's more than just being depressed. He's just all over the place. His soul, he says, my soul. He's talking to his whole being. It's in turmoil. And this turmoil is hitting him in different directions, right? Several different directions, it's coming at him. First, spiritual turmoil. Look at verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my my pants my soul for you, O God. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He's thirsty for God, and he says, I'm like a deer that's just thirsty. Do you remember the song in the 80s? As the deer pants for the water. Am I old? All right. So, thank you, Keith. Yeah, he knows. All right, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. He's saying, God, he says, my, you're the living God. You're the living God, but spiritually, I feel like I am dry and, dry and dying like a deer collapsed in agony by an empty riverbed during a time of drought. God, you are my living God, but I feel like... I, like, you're supposed to be my source of life and refreshment and satisfaction. But listen, God, I'm not a camel who is self-sufficient and can live in a desert. I am a deer dying unless I find water, my source of life, and, I, and that's you, and I can't see where you are. Verse 9, he says, why have you forgotten me? Again, we don't know the specifics, but you don't ask that question unless things are happening that does not fit with the idea of a good, loving, holy, just, wise God. Now, let's be clear. This guy, he is passionately pursuing God. He's got an intense, impressive, compelling appetite for God. He's not indifferent to, to God. He's, not got, he's got some secret stuff going on on the side. He, he doesn't lose his faith. Right? Look at verse 5. He's, God, you're my salvation and my God. Right? Look at verse 8. The God of my life, he says. A prayer to the God of my life. Verse 9. He is my rock. 
So this guy is a spiritual giant, man. The way that he longs after God, but at the same time, he feels like he's dying of dehydration spiritually. And we might be like, he, I'm sure he's doing something shady. That's why. <laughs> he's committed some bad sin probably somewhere. No, there's no mention of guilt here. Usually the psalmist says it. He's, he, the psalmist says, against you and you only have I sinned. Nothing like that here. So his spiritual turmoil is not that he's lost belief in God, but he can't sense God like he used to. It's not that the psalmist believes God isn't real, but God doesn't feel real to him. It's not that he isn't alive, but God doesn't feel alive to him. You see see what's going on there? The psalms of lament are telling you, you can feel like you're reading the Bible, praying, never missing church, singing all the songs, walking in obedience, and still feel like you can't feel God in your life. That can happen. That can even happen. I mean, yeah, we get it. Right? If you're not walking with the Lord and all the stuff and you feel dry, we, that makes sense. But look at this guy. He's passionate. He loves the Lord. He's praying. He's singing. But he's still feeling this. Uh, St. John of the Cross has a little book called The Dark Night of the Soul. It talks exactly about that. So I get it, brother, right? No wonder. You have a lot of questions. Your soul is in turmoil. We are complex creatures. And the lament psalms, oh, what a gift. Gives you permission that you can have questions. You can even be in a place where you can't even sense God's presence. And God isn't mad or upset, and he's big enough to take it. Big enough to take it. So there's spiritual turmoil. Is that you this morning? Well, you're in good company because Mr. Son of Korah here says, I know what that feels like. You're in good company with Elijah and Moses and Jonah, who all at certain points said, God, just take my life. I'm done. You are in good company with C.H. Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. That was his title. Maybe the first ever megachurch pastor, late 1800s. In England, he says his spirit can get so low sometimes that he would weep hourly and not know why. Martin Luther, the leader of the Protestant Reformation, tormented, if you read his stuff, constantly tormented. A great people, the people of God, a great number of them have gone through it. So you are in good company. You are in good company. So he's got spiritual turmoil, but that's not it. He also has physical and emotional turmoil. Do you notice that? Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. Notice, he says, my, my diet is my tears. He's probably lost his appetite. He says day and night. It means he's not sleeping well either. He's been crying a lot. By the way, crying is proof of relationship. Russell Moore in his book, Adopted for Life, he was going to an orphanage in Russia. And they were, he and his wife were going through the process of adoption. And he says he walked into that orphanage in Russia, and he said the silence from the nursery was eerie because the babies in the cribs never cried. Not because they didn't need anything, but because they learned no one cared enough to answer. 
See, children who are confident of the love of a caregiver cry. So for the Christian, our lament, when it's just tears taken to the Father in heaven, it's proof we have relationship. Because he says, yes, you're my child. Our connection, you have connection to me, the great caregiver. But this guy is emotionally going through stuff too. Look, he says, pouring out, verse 4. I'm pouring out. That means he's emotionally drained. He's not sleeping. He's not eating. He's emotionally drained. Then verse 7. He says, deep calls the deep, the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and waves have gone over me. He means he's overwhelmed. It, he feels like the Niagara Falls have come crashing down on him. He feels noisy internally, and he feels suffocated in the deep, overwhelming waves. Verse 10, he says, it's not a little splinter. It's a wound in my bones. It's pain all over my body, like a deadly wound, he says, in my bones. So there's spiritual turmoil. There's emotional turmoil, mental turmoil, physical turmoil. And not only that, he's got relational turmoil. Look at verse 4. One of the reasons he's full of tears is because he's lost his community. They used to go to the temple. He says, I remember this. He said, I remember going to the temple, singing songs. I mean, he's in isolation. So he's away from the people of God. So he's away from the people he wants to hang out with. And the people that he is hanging out with are hurting him. They're taunting him. Verse 3, they say to me all day long, there are people around him saying, where is your God? Sometimes the verbal abuse around us is almost as bad as the physical. Where is your God when you need him, they say. Where is your God now? This, is, this can cause a deep depression. And some of us can relate to the psalmist this morning. If God feels absent and all of these trials seem present. And you're feeling spiritual, emotional, physical, mental, or a combination of all of those things. And here it is in the Bible. God, it doesn't say, and at the end of verse 11, it, does, it doesn't say, and, this, and God killed the psalmist for feeling these things. He doesn't. He keeps it in his book. It's in his book. And so, what do we do with this? All right, there's hope for the soul in turmoil. Scattered throughout all of this turmoil, he, he actually experiences, and I love that it's not like simple, like, Whole bunch of bad stuff, then I felt good. It's just bad stuff, hope, bad stuff. <laughs> I love that. I, I love that that's how it is here. What's, what's our hope here? There's several things here to notice. Now, first of all, we should also note there are many layers to our turmoil. There are many layers to our turmoil. I hear Shrek's voice when he says, I'm an onion, and onions have layers, layers. Do you notice there are multiple reasons why his soul is in turmoil, right? I think we speak too soon if we automatically say, it's just all spiritual, or it's just all mental, or it's just a physical. We speak too soon. But what we like to do, and this is, like, I grew up like this, where if you're in turmoil, did you, you didn't, you're not doing your quiet time. You, 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 there must be sin. You know, Job's friends, oh, that's what they were like. There must be some sin. You got to ask God what the sin is. 
Right? You haven't done your quiet time, or you got the, you got the, you got the devil chasers. Oh, it's just the devil. Everything's the devil. Right? Every single thing is the devil. Not today, Satan. Let's call the exorcism team. Let's get them here because it's all... Listen, there may be demonic factors, absolutely. But there are layers, often many, many more layers because the assumption is, well, if you're just doing your spiritual to-do list, there's no possible way you can be feeling like this, right? It's not that simple. Now, listen, it could be sin. It could be sin. Yeah, we're not saying that. But it could be a lack of sleep. It could be isolation or just don't have community. It could be something clinical and you need to go see somebody. It could be trauma. It could be grief. It could be you need a better diet. Maybe you're sick. It could be a combination of all of those things. And sometimes there's just no explanation for it. It's complex. The point is, no matter how complex it is, God is able to handle it. He welcomes you with all of it. And, listen, if you are shepherding a family member and there's somebody in turmoil in your life group, please do not reduce it. Don't do it with yourself. Don't do it with people and just say, it must be this. You don't know. We are a complex creature, so be curious Ask lots of questions. Be pray for them in a non-judgmental way, and listen and listen some more, and just care for them as they are. Amen. It's complex layer. Secondly, notice he asks, "Why are you downcast?" He notices his soul is downcast. So listen to the cries of your soul. Secondly, what does he mean by that? Why are you downcast, O my soul? So the commentators are saying, he's not saying this. He's not saying this. He's not saying, why are you so down? How dumb of you, man. Look what God's done for you. You're so dumb. You're so feeling. He's not doing that. That is your inner critic. That is, that is, that's partly demonic. The enemy wants to destroy and shame you. That's not, that's not what he's doing. When he says, why are you downcast, oh my soul? He's not saying how dumb of you. He's looking for information. He's aware of the cries of his soul, and he's trying to figure out why he's downcast and what he's putting his hopes in. Again, we don't know what they are. He doesn't even say what they are. But I love the fact, what, he's t- what this is teaching us is you have to be aware of what's happening in your soul. Uh, author Henri Nouwen, he said, he shared a story. He said, months after his mom passed, He filled his life with work and activity. And one day, he says, when I paused in my office between appointments, I suddenly realized I had not shed a single tear before or after my mother's death. The voices around me were saying, you got to keep going. Life goes on. People die. You should work. And he says, I I had to go to a monastery for six months And he says, in a season of stillness, caught himself quietly weeping. In prayer and slowing down, listening to the cries of his soul, he says, something shook free in me. See, when's the last time you sat in silence and listened to the cries of your soul? And you know what we do? Christians love to do. We do this. I do this sometimes. I notice I bypass 
the honest cries of my soul, and I cover it with spiritual language. I say stuff like, I need to be content. I need to move on. I need to get busy. Things happen. That's life. You see, do you sit long enough to listen? See, God doesn't love the projected you of who's got it all together and everything is, that's what we'd like to project, but but behind that is the real you. And that's who he loves. He welcomes you as you are. See, the, the danger is if we don't lament these losses and hurts and pain and instead, to, in, instead try to bury it and get distracted, we will get further hit and hurt and we will hurt others. What happens when you bury a beach, wall under, beach ball underwater? It bounces back up and it smacks you in the face. So if you try to silence those tears, it won't listen to you. And it may stubbornly show up in your body, or it's going to come out sideways like explosive anger, uncontrollable anxiety, brooding bitterness, unchecked addiction. That's why you've got to listen to the cries of your soul. Not only listen to the cries of your soul, The psalmist also teaches us, preach to your soul. Preach to your soul. I love, it's ironic to me. He senses a loss of God's presence. And if that was me, I don't feel like doing anything like prayer or Bible reading. But notice, he's sensing the loss of God's presence. He's in complete turmoil, but he's still pouring out his soul, verse 4. He's still praying and singing, verse 8. See, the temptation is to avoid these things when we are feeling in, in turmoil, but What he's teaching us is, if nothing else, talk to God about how you get nothing out of it. If nothing else, talk to God about how much you miss him. If nothing else, talk to the God who feels absent about his absence. See? Talk to God about your soul, but talk to your soul about God. That's lamenting. That's lamenting. Pastor, author Paul Tripp, you guys, some of you know him from the marriage class. He says, the most influential preacher in your life is you. Because nobody talks to you more than you. When the moment you wake up, you are having a long conversation with yourself about and making interpretations about your past, your present, and your future. Listen to your soul, but you got to also preach to your soul. Now, how do we, well, what do I preach to my soul? Well, he tells you. What do you preach to your soul? Verse 2. Soul, you are my living God. Soul, verse 8. You command your steadfast love. You are my God. See the word steadfast love, verse 8? One word in Hebrew. It's all over the Psalms. It's the word hesed. Hesed. It's actually the middle name of my oldest daughter, Hesed. What does it mean? Well, from the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a Bible for for children, here's the definition of Hesed. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Steadfast love. Soul, soul, I thank you for your 
Thank you, God, for your steadfast love. Help my soul to experience it. I don't know what the reasons are that I'm going through this turmoil, but I know one reason it's not. It's not because you love me. You don't love me. You're preaching to your soul, and you're preaching the promises of God to your soul. And Mr. Spurgeon would like to have your word with you about that too. Listen to what he says. From his own experience, remember, he went through this. He went through turmoil all the time. He says, nothing pleases our Lord better than to see his promises put into circulation. He loves to see his children bring his promises up to him and say, Lord, do as you have said. Do you think God will be any poorer for giving you the riches he has promised? No. Faith lays hold on the promise, goes straight to the throne with it, and pleads, Lord, here is the promise. Do as you have said. Our heavenly banker delights to cash his own notes, he says. He's more ready to hear than you are to answer. The sun is not weary of shining, nor the fountain of flowing. It is God's nature to keep his promises. Therefore, go at once to the throne with, do as you have said. Preach that to your soul. Do as you have said. You got one more, one more encouragement here. You have a God, a Lord, who is a wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. You know, a good counselor knows where you're at. He doesn't have any easy answers, meets you there, and shepherds you. And you have a wonderful counselor in Jesus. He knows how complex we are. He knows how multi-layered our issues are. And he knows what each person needs. Uh, have you noticed he doesn't grow two people the same way? He, he meets people differently in Scripture. He doesn't do one size fits all. He doesn't work off a template. We always say, don't put God in a box. And he doesn't put you in a box either. Remember when uh, Jesus met the bleeding woman in Luke 8? He heals her bleeding issue. But he says something to her which tells you he's a wonderful counselor. He says, daughter. Why? With this bleeding issue, she was full of shame. She was an orphan in society. And she needed a word from Jesus that would redignify her and give her an identity and a place to belong. You are my daughter. It's not about the bleeding issue anymore. It's really about she needed a word from her wonderful counselor. Remember Elijah? Verse 19. Elijah's like, he brings fire down from heaven, and then, then the brother is like, I just want to die now. I want to die. And then he falls asleep, and God sends him an angel. What does the angel do? Well, I'll tell you what he doesn't do. The angel doesn't say, oh, Repent! How dare you lose hope in me? Does the angel ask him any probing questions? Nope. Does he shake him? Nope. The angel, go read it sometime if you haven't read it. 1 Kings 19. The king, the angel touches him tenderly and then he cooks him a cake. Did you know angels cook? <laughs> Only place it says that. And then I wonder, 
Did he make angel food cake? Come on, Steve. And then he speaks encouragement. He says, you need more strength for the journey. And then he says, sleep some more. And then he cooks for him again. Uh, Well, he needs to talk to God. Yeah, God's going to talk to him after. He's going to talk to him. But the wonderful counselor knows he's exhausted. He's hungry, and so he cares for him. That's a wonderful counselor. See, God, God, he says in Ephesians 2.10, you are my workmanship. That word poema means poem, my masterpiece, my work of art. John Orberg says, he doesn't say, you are my appliance. Because appliances are mass-produced. Masterpieces are handcrafted. Handcrafted. The wonderful counselor is a handcrafter. He's not a mass producer. So you can put your hope in him. You can put your hope in him. Uh, in 2021, I had just resigned from pastoral ministry. I was so lost. I just could not understand it. I, I couldn't pray. I couldn't read the word. I didn't even like going to church. I only, took, I only went to church because I felt like my kids needed church. I couldn't sing a single song. I criticized every sermon. And the inner critic and the enemy and I don't know, I heard, what kind of pastor is this? <laughs> what kind of pastor are you? What kind of Christian are you? And I wondered if I would ever be back in ministry. I was so dead. And I mean, now I, when I look back, I know it's because my hope was not in God. My hope was in being fulfilled in ministry. And now that ministry was gone, I didn't know who I was. And so I remember I ended up in my basement watching old musicals. And then I would sob through them. I was lamenting. And he knew. Somebody said, was that your escape? I don't think it was now. I think the wonderful counselor knew how to reach me. He knew I loved music. He knew I loved drama. Put them together, you get musicals. And so he knew how to meet me, and he didn't let me go. He knew how to reach me. And so, yeah, did did I need a good church again and a good pastor and uh, brothers and sisters to to, life groups and things like that? Yes, I needed all that. But how is he going to reach me? He knew how to reach me. It's here, like... You're sobbing because in these musicals, there is a place for your pain in the story of the musical. And then God comes and says, yes, that was my gift to you because guess what? Your story is not just in this musical where there's a place, there's a place for your pain in my story too. I rediscovered my identity in being a handcrafted beloved of God and not as a pastor. And then right before I left for Connecticut, I was meeting with a mentor, and we were praying, and I was asked this question, how would Jesus Christ introduce you to New River? How would Jesus introduce you to New River? So I said, yeah, I'll just close my eyes and ask the Lord, and before I even put my head down before I even close my eyes. 
in my heart, I heard my boy. And every time I get up here, that's what I hear. So I'm standing here to tell you, put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Your soul is in turmoil, but you will again praise him. And I'm standing here to tell you I am praising him. I'm here to tell you I've been there. And I'm standing here to tell you put your hope in God. And you're like, oh, he turned your sadness into happiness. Okay, but no, what he did was he fixed my vision on his love and where my pain had a place in his story and he was forming me into a person where I can hold my sorrow, my turmoil with utter honesty and hold on to the promises of God at the same time. That's where my hope is in. And, I'm not, I cannot re- and, I, and I cannot read this psalm also by looking at somebody else who also knows turmoil. Greater turmoil. See, when he was facing the cross that you and I deserved, Jesus says in Matthew 26, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Same language, same language. Luke says he was in so much agony, he was sweating so much, that it was like great drops of blood. You know what that tells you? He is no stranger to the weight of heartbreak and horror. To the ache of your swollen eyes that have cried so long they have run out of tears. He doesn't numb himself from these feelings. Do you notice that? He's God. He doesn't numb himself from it. He is shockingly amazed he was facing our judgment, our wrath. He was uniquely tormented in his soul so the souls of sinners like you and me would know the freedom from eternal torment. His turmoil was all anguish so we might have all joy. His was a thirst so we might drink of his love. He enters darkness so we might know the light of his steadfast, never breaking, always and forever love. He wept so that our tears might be wiped from our eyes. He laments in ultimate turmoil so that in our smaller turmoil, we may have an endless song, even a song in the night. So yes, Mr. Spurgeon would say, you cannot trace his hand in your life, but you can definitely trust his heart. You can. And then when it is all over, when it is all over, in the end of the story in Revelation 21, this blows me away. When it is all over, in the end of the Bible, John describes a breathtaking moment, listen to this, when God, he says, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. And death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. See, when we finally see God face to face, we will be made whole. And there's no more death, no more crying, no more pain. But listen, look. What's he doing at the end? There's still 
one last long cry. Even final redemption does not skip over the darkness. It demands that even the last tear be shed. That's the kind of God we have this morning. Worship team's going to come on up. There's a great scene in the Chronicles of Narnia. A boy named Shasta, he's lost. He's in a fog, literal fog. He's had a hard life. And in despair, he says this. I must be the most unfortunate boy that ever lived in the world. Then he hears a voice. A voice of a great king. Aslan the lion, who is the Christ figure in the book. He's been walking alongside him through the fog the whole time unseen. He speaks and he says this. Tell me your sorrows. In other words... Lament with me. So we're going to open our altar here. I'm going to pr- pray. We're going to sing. As we sing, if you want to come up and meet with your wonderful counselor, you need somebody to pray with you, speak promises to your heart, you can come kneel right here uh, at the, your left side, my right side, your left side. If you are physically unable to kneel there, come and there's plenty of seats Uh, You can come and sit there if you want somebody to pray with you. Somebody will come and pray with you. If you want to pray on your own, which is perfectly fine, you can stay in your seat. You can also come to this side if you just want to be by yourself and uh, talk to your soul. Preach to your soul alone. You can do that. So if you need prayer over here, if you need uh, to be alone and meet with the wonderful counselor here, just meet with the wonderful counselor, right? He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's how he started That's how we're ending here. Before I pray, before we sing, I want us to do something. I want to take a few seconds and sit in silence. I'm sorry, I know you didn't come to church to be uncomfortable, and some of us, this is very uncomfortable to sit in silence. But listen to the cry of your soul. So, what bubbles up? What bubbles up? And for some of us, you're like, man, I'm in a sweet season. Praise the Lord. I'm having a great time. Praise God for you. Thank God for that. Because, yeah, next week you might be in turmoil. (laughs) But right now you're not. Praise the Lord. We'll take it. Praise Him. But for others of us, is your soul in turmoil? Maybe spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally, relationally. Maybe you're like, yeah, it's turmoil, man. I'm just tired of being alone. I'm tired of chronic pain, like singleness, marital strife, relational strain in my family, unemployment, overwhelming grief, sickness of a loved one, a wayward child, my grandchild, infertility, opposition at work, financial strain, combination of all those, whatever it is, your handcrafter, your redeemer, the man of sorrows, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father invites you to himself. And he says, tell me your sorrows. Tell me. Well, that about wraps it up for today. We pray that today's message encouraged you. And if you would like more information or just to contact us, go to our website at newriverchurch.org.